Travers, and welcome to the Liberty Mike Podcast, broadcasting from an undisclosed location in the heart of Dixie. I am Michael, and I am here with Liberty Larry. How's it going? Doing all right. How are you today? Pretty good. Yeah? Why? Because I am. Because I got whiskey. You got whiskey. I'm not at work, and I have whiskey. All right. Fair enough. I've been digging the Jim Beam stuff recently. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. It definitely has a good flavor to it. Well, at least until you put that ice cube in there. Right? <laughs> uh, that broadened the flavors even more. I don't believe that. <laughs> just, I don't just believe that, not bring, for a moment. Brings it out. Uh, brings out the flavor. Um, so, sorry I didn't end up doing anything last week. I, uh, I got lazy. Um, I chose instead to go to a No Agenda meetup in Mobile. Instead of preparing a, a well, podcast. Well, I would have liked for you to have done both. The, going to the meetups are important, I think. Yeah. Well, the truth is that if I managed my time better, I could easily you could have, have done, done both. both. <laughs> yeah. All right. um, but I don't manage my time very well. So, uh, and then I almost didn't go because it was a monsoon um, and it was out at Azalea, yeah. which is like nearly an hour. Yeah. I mean, it's like 45 50 minutes out right yeah. so um but I, i'm glad i went it was fun uh got to see a, a bunch of the people that were there last time yeah. we went and um and it was good to see everybody it was fun i, like, I had a good time i so. wish i could have went if like i said if i had been in town i definitely would have skated out of work early to go yeah um, to, so shout out to everybody that's there that listen that was there that listens to the podcast. I guess shout out to those that don't listen to the podcast too. But yeah, <laughs> um, but they won't hear it. But they're not going to get to hear it, right? <laughs> so, yeah. um, it was nice to see everybody. Can't wait to do it again. Um, and then uh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah, I got a little in the weeds uh, preparing for this podcast, thinking that I was going to do the stuff that I was going to do on my own. Yeah. And then I ended up with like a whole lot of notes. And I was going to say, you have a very done. intimidating amount of notes over there. Yeah, I know. I still have a whole <laughs> lot of notes, but I like... It's a th- lot. This is not the notes that I had Yeah. that I was going to use, that I wasn't even done reading stuff that I wanted to read or reread or whatever to talk about. Because yeah. I did... Well, I, we'll talk about it later. Well, I mean, I'm yeah. going to do like a brief overview later in this podcast and and if people say that they're interested i'll do a deep dive later on actually i'll probably do a deep dive later on anyway but yeah it, it would help motivate me to do that <laughs> if people sent in some stuff yeah if people showed interest <laughs> yeah. and said you know clicked on the button i, I would like to know more you know from uh no yeah. what was that movie um based on the Heinlein book Starship Troopers oh yeah isn't that the one where the news broadcasts are like would you like to know more and I think so I remember yeah. now that you say that I remember that because <laughs> it was just like a bunch of commercials and then you like you picked with the one you wanted to would you like to know more <laughs> yeah yeah it was just like a bunch of leads and then, leads yeah, yeah yeah exactly 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 so yeah. um, I'm pretty sure that was Starship Troopers the book was far better than the movie uh, the movie has its own charm I will I enjoyed the movie. Yeah, it's it's a fun movie. Like when I first saw it, I'd read the book, yeah. and I was really disappointed. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but I've learned to appreciate the movie on its own merits. Yeah. Which is just kind of a silly sci-fi action film. Yeah. And you know, and I can enjoy it that way. Um, the book is is more social commentary, and uh, I, I found it far more interesting. But it's just a different kind of story. It's different. Yeah. yeah. I got you. Okay. So I guess the big news that's fading into the background already uh, is the leaks. Yeah. Our our Discord leaker or Mm. whatever they call him. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Something to share. I don't remember his first name now already. (laughs) It's not in that mountain of notes over there. Uh, doesn't seem to be. Doesn't seem to be. Okay. No, no, which is really ridiculous because I know how terrible I am at names. Yeah, so you so you knew you should have wrote it down. You just didn't do it. Yeah, I did. I did better about first names than the other half of my notes. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh well. So it, it. I don't know. It's less important than. Okay. Well, let's start. What do you know of the leaks? 
Um, I mean, not, I mean, a little bit. Like, I keep hearing about them. Like, I mean, the, so, like I say, I kind of lost. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, a bunch of it is stuff that I would say that we really already knew is just kind of confirmed. Okay. Um, the, some important points, I guess, are, um, the U.S. and other EU slash NATO nations have special forces operating in Ukraine. Oh, that's right. Okay. That reminds me. Yeah, because the I guess the other big thing that was in there was that, that they've been lying, at least supposedly, about the troop deaths. Yeah. As far as the Ukraines and the Russians. Right. Um, that's a big one is that they were lying about casualty numbers. That's um, right. The leaked documents suggest that they're... Um, 16, 18,000 Russian deaths and um, 71,000, 72,000 Ukrainian deaths. Yeah. Whereas they're standing up in front of Congress saying Ukraine is doing great and Russia's lost over 100,000 people. Yeah. And but sounds like behind be, closed doors, that's not really the conversations that's being had. Yeah. And this is, of course, more in line with what we know about the war. Um, that it's uh, primarily an artillery war and that the Russians are shooting five to ten times as many artillery shells as the Ukrainians. So it's kind of hard to imagine that the Ukrainians <laughs> were killing more Russians with Less so artillery. many fewer artillery <laughs> yeah. rounds. Right. Um, no, they're just really good with them. <laughs> exactly. because of, But not because of U.S. help, of course, because right. yeah. we're not— we don't have special forces on the ground or anything like that. All right. Which is obviously not true either. Yeah. Um, and then, and then there's some, I mean, the truth is, is it's not been that easy to get a hold of this information, which is really disappointing. Like I would yeah. have hoped that it would have been all over a U.S. media, oh, yeah, which that. is actually what I think the story is here. Now, a few other things that, that came out in the leaks is the Ukraine government was behind some attacks in Belarus. Um, which means that they've spread the war into another nation that isn't actively taking part, presumably. Um, that uh, the the U.S. is encouraging them to use U.S. weaponry to strike behind Russian lines, like into Russia. Into Russia, yeah. Which they've said that they weren't approving of, um, right. or the U.S. government has said it wasn't approving of. Uh, and then, of course, the that the U.S. spies on both its friends and foes extensively. Like we already knew that from um, the Cablegate leaks, yeah, long ago, and Snowden actually before that too. Yeah. So, um, but I think that the real, the real question here, <clears throat> or the important point, is uh, the question of whether the the U.S. media is serving truth or serving the state. Oh, yeah. I think that that's the real question, especially after um, the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, claim credit for IDing this guy to Shara and passing that information to the FBI. Yeah, which that that kind of astonishes me. Like, so they, they do better investigative work than the FBI? Well, apparently. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a bunch of media outlets that were all on board immediately about, you know, volunteering their time to help identify this terrible perpetrator, a leaker of U.S. secrets, mm. which is insane because these these outlets actually completely depend on leaks of U.S. secrets. <laughs> but what we're seeing here is that, that there's a, a distinct difference between um, sanctioned leaks and unsanctioned leaks. That's, that's where it is. Yep. Uh, because we are aware that the, um, U S government and intelligence services, which may be the same thing at this point, um, are, uh, perfectly content using controlled leaks to control the narrative. Yeah. Or, and to put feelers out for what they're going to do next, too. I suppose so. Um, I do want to play this clip really quickly of our old buddy, John Kirby. I almost I almost feel bad about picking on him all the time. Yeah. But 
he's just he's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't feel too bad about it. Yeah. The the feeling quickly passes. <laughs> Once you hear him again. Yeah. <laughs> so um let, let's uh let's hear what he had to say about these leaks. All right. Again, without confirming the validity of the documents, this is information that has no business in the public domain. It has no business, if you don't mind me saying, uh, on the pages of, uh, of uh, front pages of, of newspapers or on television. It is not intended for public uh, consumption, uh, and it should not be out there. Okay, the, the gall of the guy to say, hey, media, <laughs> there is no reason for the lies that we are telling you to be exposed. Well, I was going to say the lies that we are telling you in order to secure your support for our policies. Yeah. To be exposed. That's, that's, that's what's so irritating about that comment. And, and you can hear it. Like you can even hear him like pounding on the desk, like, or whatever, or the podium. Like he's, he's upset, like, and being forceful about like, this shouldn't be in the public domain. And, you know, it's, it's just irritating because it this, all this did was expose how much they're lying about what's happening on the ground there. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's not like the because the if there's ever a reason to have stuff classified and be upset that it leaked out, it's stuff that because this is what the the retort always is when there's leaks like this is well, you know, if it's it it puts the troops in danger or it puts our you know military service in danger, like. That kind of leak, I could be like, okay, well, yeah, that doesn't belong in the public domain. We don't need to be telling, like, whoever we're at war with where our troops are at and, like, mm-hmm. how they're moving. Like, okay, I can get that. But the, not that's not what any of this is. This is just, like, notes and statistics on what's going on there. Yeah, that, and that, they're, like, a month old. Yeah, and they're not even recent. Like, mm-hmm. so, but but they do expose how much we're being misled about this war mm-hmm. that's being shoved down our throats, by the way. Yeah, and costing us quite a bit. Oh, absolutely. 100 billion. Well, I th- think we're close to 100 billion at this point. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's yeah. a lot. I think I saw like 68 billion recently, and I thought that seems like an underestimate. That was probably a few months ago, right? <laughs> well,. No, it was on anti-war. It was on. It was in an op-ed on anti-war. Yeah, like within this last week. I got you. So it's fairly but, recent, but it still seemed low. Yeah, I, I don't think that 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 doesn't seem like enough. That probably money. doesn't it seems in, like probably doesn't include everything or something. Yeah, I mean, think of all the, you know, four hundred million billion here, four hundred million, four hundred million billion here. Yeah. You know, one point two billion, two point six billion. You know, I, I mean. It adds up. Yeah. Uh, so 68 didn't seem like enough, but maybe it is. I mean, you know, maybe I'm inflating the, this number. But <laughs> Even if it's not, that's a lot. Yeah, well, that's a lot of money. Think yeah. of how that could have been used here. Exactly. In this country. Like, I'm not all in for like government spending on everything, but I would much rather have it spent on, you know, like filling in potholes on the well, interstate was- and rebuilding bridges than blowing... Sh- stuff up in the Ukraine. Yeah, <laughs> right. I caught myself there. Yeah, nice one. No, but you're absolutely right. Like just think what that type of infrastructure bill would mean. Like mm-hmm. I mean that would not only would it be fixing our our roads that need it, um, mm-hmm. but I mean jobs and stuff like that. Like and I'm with you. Like I'm not I'm not for that type of thing. Yeah. But I mean if we're going to spend the money anyway, <laughs> like it just makes sense to spend it at home. Yeah, I mean, I want to say that that's actually significantly more than the U.S. government, than the federal government spends on roads anyway. Yeah, exactly. And, well, in the meantime, they're complaining about our infrastructure falling apart. Yeah. And we're spending all this money to go blow up infrastructure in another country. Yeah, well, that's so that in the future, hopefully, we can pay American companies to rebuild it. To go rebuild that infrastructure. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. (laughs) But yeah, so that we can pay American companies to rebuild infrastructure in a different country. Yeah, exactly. Not here. Not here, yeah. Right. No. Well, um, I I think, like, there's a couple of aspects. The reason I have so many notes on this is because there's a couple of aspects of this that I, I think that are important to talk about. And just kind of discuss, because I don't know that I have a firm answer on a lot of this, but um, I, I want to talk about uh, the the role of U.S. media. Um, and then, of course, like what the purpose of this may be. But um, 
there's a couple of things and they relate to each other, I suppose. So, you know, the difference between sanctioned and unsanctioned leaks, a lot of these companies, especially like the New York Times and the Washington Post, are completely dependent on sanctioned leaks yeah. from U.S. government. Where, Kirby don't get out there and pitch a fit about those. No, not absolutely. You're right. There's a lot of information that comes out in the Washington Post and the New York Times that they want us to know. Yeah. Um, and they're leaks, but they're <laughs> leaks that they want. But they're not followed up by Kirby pitching a tantrum. Yeah, and banging on the podium. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, now, the media is supposed to have, like, traditionally the media is to have, is to be an antagonist to power structure. Yeah. Like we don't need the media to tell us what the powerful factions message is. They do that fine just by themselves. Oh, absolutely. Like they don't need the media to, to support their message, to get their message out there. The U S government can get its message out there without the media. Oh yeah. I mean, the president can shut down the TV stations and take them all over to give a speech. Right. Like, I mean, if he, if he <laughs> needs to get a message out, he has the ability to do it. Right. The, the whole purpose of the media of an independent media as yeah. opposed to a state media the whole purpose of an independent media is to be antagonistic towards the government yeah and to to give us the information that they don't want us to have yeah to expose the lies of the government to expose the criminality of the government to expose the uh unethical practices of the government that's what they're there to do and again they're still dependent on leaks to do that yeah I mean, obviously, the government doesn't want you to have that information. That's why they're hiding it. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, if we look <laughs> over the over the years at the frequency with which, when we find out um, classified information and it's really, you know, turned over, then we find out that the reason it's classified is to protect some government agency from embarrassment, not because the information was that sen sensitive. Oh, exactly. And. So, and I see, let's see, and, and to back up a little bit, kind of the, the question that I have with this is, um, what, what, what purpose does this serve now? Yeah. And I think, um, it's, there's a couple of things and maybe they're all connected. I like, maybe it's all of the things, maybe it's some of the things, maybe it's just options that are out there. Like, okay, how can we use this information? Because yeah. there's reason to believe that this guy Tashera isn't the source. Although yeah. now they're saying that, you know, he was, uh, it, uh, like a systems analyst or something or, uh, yeah. The big story in the media is that he had access to the stuff, mm -hmm. but, but like you're saying, like he was some kind of IT guy. And while he had access, like he probably shouldn't have had access. Like they should well, have had ways to have kept this from him having access to it. Yeah. And I don't even care about that. Yeah. I, like I don't. I, that's the non-issue to me. Well, um, I did want to go back to something okay, you ahead. were saying just a minute ago, just about the basically with the corporate media. And it's I mean, it really is just an arm of the government at this point. Um Really, there's only two medias out there. So you have your corporate media and all of that. But where you get the independent journalism and stuff like that is really through like podcasts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like that's where the real like you're not going to you're not getting the truth if you just watch the, the news every day. If yeah. you watch the five o'clock news every day, you are less informed than somebody that goes out there and actually listens to some form of independent media, whether it's podcast or whatever. Well, that that is an important point, and we'll get back to it. Okay. Because I think that that's related to like how this can be used by the government going forward. Yeah. Um. So, anyway, th this kid. I, I mean, I saw a lot of questions early on about whether he would have had access to all the documents that had been leaked. And the assumption was because there was at least one CIA document that he should not have had access to through the uh, Defense Department, no matter what. Yeah. Um, that somebody higher up was passing this information to him. Well, yeah, but the the retort I've heard to that on the mainstream, though, is that he... Um 
that they're supposed to be sharing all of these documents. So after 9-11, when all of these, you know, I mean, that's what they're saying. I know. Yeah, I, that, I see, that, I see the no grin way. over there. Yeah, like, there's I, no way that's true. They, yeah. Like these agencies are in competition with each other for funding. Oh, absolutely. So they, they don't share all their they're information. Not, they're we, not we doing. We know better than that. Now, but, yeah. what I've heard is that his Air National Guard unit um, was, uh, was handling intelligence work. And so that's why this was available. Yeah. To him. Who knows? It, yeah. it, it doesn't really matter. But acting on the assumption that somebody else was leaking the information, like, what's the purpose? Yeah. Now, the other thing is that, like, he wasn't really leaking the information. Well, that's the where, <laughs> where the meat, where the information was going is, is kind of interesting, too, because it yeah. wasn't like he was, like, getting this information and then turning it over to a reporter or something like that. Yeah. Well, they'd probably be defending him instead of seeking him out to turn him in if that were the case. Yeah. He was basically um, just putting it on a, um, uh, it's Discord, like a private Discord server. A Discord server. Yeah. Of a bunch of, like, teenagers, actually. Yeah. Like, um, and there's some interesting stuff about how they're spinning that too. Uh, but he, he, I don't know. I lose a little bit of respect for the guy. Cause it's not like he just wanted that information at, that people needed to know. It's not like he's a Daniel Ellsberg or, yeah. uh, uh, Chelsea Manning or, you know, uh, oh. Daniel Hale or somebody like that. That's, yeah. that was actually trying to get the information out to the public. He's just trying to make himself look, look amazing. Yeah. To a bunch know, of teenagers, to a bunch of kids. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> Um, but still, I think that it, it is information about government, uh, government lies is in the public interest period. Always. I think. And I think one of those questions, and we'll, we'll get back to what I was trying to talk about here, but I, I think one of those questions that's important to answer is when does the government deserve to keep secrets? Yeah. And I don't know if the answer is ever. It's very rare, if ever. And um, like I can I, I see, do, you know, I, active troop movements, things like that. That's that's what I was um, going to say. Anything that, but information doesn't generally get out that fast. Like I haven't, I've never seen that kind of information get out. Well, no, of like we're moving our troops from here to here, and it's happening at such and such a time tomorrow so, or something. So that's always the talking point when stuff like this mm -hmm. happens is that it's endangering troops and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. the truth is, is just like what you're saying. That's never, that's never the reality. Yeah. I mean, the, that kind of information comes out weeks later. And by then, I promise you, the enemy already knows. The, yeah. Well, and they've already, and we've already moved. I mean, like, certainly the Russians already know at that point. Like maybe you can make a case that the Afghans don't know because, <laughs> but I mean, the Russians, the Chinese, the yeah. like a, a modern country yeah. is tracking all of this. They've anyway. got satellites and yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they can, yeah, they're not a bunch of dummies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think that the, the answer to that question is that, um, the government doesn't really deserve secrets and the government under no circumstances should be permitted to lie to you. That's oh, never excusable. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, so the, you know, if you go back to the idea that maybe somebody else was leaking this information in the hopes that it would get out sooner. Yeah. Like why? What's the goal? What, like, what would they want in that? I think this is worth a question worth asking, even though, yeah. Increasing at least the story is suggesting that that's not what was happening. Well, it's it's but. definitely possible that mm -hmm. this information was kind of leaked out to to start warming us up to the fact that this may be over soon and that, that maybe we're wasting mm -hmm. our time. Yeah. Well, it could go the other way, too, though. It could have been leaked out to say uh, because we've been... Um, saying that the Ukrainians are doing so well, and that is no longer garnering support to continue to give them money, money and yeah. weapons. Maybe it, it is actually to increase support for giving more money and weapons to Ukraine to say, yeah, actually, they're they're like falling behind here. And you know what they really need? Money and weapons. <laughs> right. So it because, could be, because that's done so well so far, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and maybe the public will overlook that we've been lying the whole time. Yeah. And either, yeah, it could be the other way too. It could be preparing us to get out of this yeah. thing. But I don't think that they really need to prepare us to get out of this. I think most people in the U.S., yeah. aren't really into it anyway. 
At this point. Yeah. I mean, it, we're, it's At least definite. all the spending and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not to say that there's not uh, compassion for the Ukrainians and so forth, but I would hope that messages like the one that we've been putting out for a year um, are starting to really penetrate the public that, hey, if you really care about the Ukrainians, you don't want to keep giving money and weapons. You want the war to end. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and giving exactly. them money and weapons is only prolonging the war. It's not ending it. Yeah. And, but I don't know. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is either. I guess time's going to kind of tell, but. Yeah. So then there's that side of it. Like, okay, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's to help bring a, a public outcry to end the war. Maybe it's to bring a public outcry to support the war more. Um, don't know. Uh, the other side of it that I see that really stands out to me um, is, and this is wh- where we'll get back into the the um, alternative media and so forth, yeah. is a- as an excuse for um, increased surveillance of social media, like the Restrict Act, mm. um, including private chat groups, which yes. should be completely protected by the Constitution, the Fourth Amendment. Yeah. Um, public chat groups, anybody can go into, but yeah. private chat groups to give the government uh, a workaround access to that information. Yeah. Um, and they have already said, oh, well, we were putting more resources into monitoring, you know, online discussion groups and so forth. Yeah. All right. Well, like, well, and they want that anyway because yes. they've been pushing for a while now, especially with um, trying to, to, get information on military like militant type groups or people that they think may be like homegrown terrorists um to try to to crack down on that type of thing i mean they're really wanting to bring mm-hmm. this the the surveillance state that was built after 911 home oh they already have well yeah um they're lo- what they're seeking but they want to intensify it, it though. I, I would say that they're already doing it and what they're actually seeking is a legal justification yeah. Well, that, that makes sense and because that's, that's what they would, it, if they could do it out in the open, mm-hmm. that's what they're looking for. Right. Like, that they could take your private messages in, in a discord group or whatever, and then use them against you in court. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And say, Hey, we saw this on, in their discord group. We're going to go arrest them and go take them to court yeah. now. Or to use that kind of information as an excuse for warrants and things like that. Yeah. Um, or a, way is, to, or a way to take your guns away. Yeah, which is terrifying. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, that's 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 like the end game. Like, that's game over. <laughs> yeah, and any of you out there that are gamers, like, think about some of the things that you may have said in private chat groups. Yeah. And how that may be interpreted by a government looking for rebels. Oh, absolutely. Like, or dissidents or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. Now, so then we go back to the the media's traditional relationship with the government being antagonistic and how that has shifted, not, not towards... So their antagonism now isn't directed towards the government or to, to power structures, which they now align themselves with. Yeah. And the antagonism has now shifted into um, or towards alternative or online media sources yeah. that are presenting alternative opinions yeah um or alternative information or more thorough information or whatever it may be however yeah. you want to look at it it doesn't matter how you want to look at it so now you have a main a mainstream media that is on board with internet censorship yeah because the internet is their competition yeah and the internet is drawing um is drawing clicks away from them or eyes, or you know, uh, well, yeah, whatever and trust your and everything is. else. Yeah, which the trust, by the way, is is justified because yeah, it's entirely their fault. Yeah, I mean, all they had to do was be honest actors mm-hmm. in reporting, and if anything, like COVID has brought that even more out. Like, not that they were honest and holding up before then, mm-hmm. but like the veil's really been pulled back since COVID. Yeah, and I think Ukraine's doing the same thing. It is. No, it absolutely is. Because now people are are attuned to it a little bit. They're like, okay, well, um, there's plenty of people out there that that understand now that there were lies told and pushed 
by the mainstream media about the effectiveness of masks, about the safety of vaccines, about um, the effectiveness of lockdowns, uh, and and the danger of the disease itself. Yeah. And now we're looking at all of these things with uh, a more skeptical eye. Well, something, I'll tell you something that just really bothers me, and this leak in particular is is a good example of it, but all the stuff during COVID was kind of the same way. Like, it, it bugs me that when stuff like this comes out and we find out, hey, the government was absolutely lying to us, here it is in black and white. Like, there's mm-hmm. no, even they're not denying it. Yeah. Like, why is there not more public outrage for that? Like, I'm talking like like people in the street, like, we're not going to tolerate this from our government. Yeah. Um, and you just don't get that. Like, I mean, it comes out and people talk about it for a little bit and it's kind of over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just really irritates me that there's not more push for, like, we're, we expect better from our government. Yeah. Um, and well, the other thing that bothers me about that, too, is so not only that— and some of these same people will come back months later after all the lies that's been told and then be like, well, the government said that it has, they wouldn't lie to us. It's like, have you seen their track record? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Don't you agree that they lied about such and such? Yeah, but I mean. Yeah, but that was a long that time was ago. ago. Yeah, well, yeah, at this point now, it's months ago because it used <laughs> to be. It, it like, wasn't the Biden thing like, well, that was last Thursday or whatever <laughs> yeah, it was. Exactly. Yeah. Like, um, there's just, mm. it, it bothers me that there's not more. Yeah more people pushing for just honesty in government. Like, I mean, like I'm personally, and I know you're, you're the same. Like, I don't really want there to be a government at all, but if we're going to have a government, shouldn't we at least expect better from it? Yeah. Well, there's a, um, there's a book. I'm pretty sure the author is Doug, Doug Bondow. Yeah. Um, spelled Bandow, like B A N D O W. Yeah. I think it's, it's, I think, man, I'm going to be so upset if I got the author wrong on this, but I think it's Doug Bondow. Um, called Attention Deficit Democracy. Oh, wow. Okay. And everyone should read this book. It's a fantastic book about exactly that. Like, why is it that people trust their government even after having lies shown to them over and over over and and over over again? again. How is it that every time after a lie is exposed, the next lie they tell people trust again? It's just like like you hit the reset button. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't understand it. And I wish, I just wish there was even more than that. Like, I just wish people would kind of like step up as a group and be like, no, like, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. Yeah. Like, you're going to have to do better. Um, and I don't know what that looks like. I'm not calling for people in the streets per se, but there's got to be something. Like, there's got to be a way. And I mean, I think in many ways, Donald Trump kind of represents that. As much as I don't yeah, like well, the guy. Yeah, well, at least people really just assumed that he was lying every time he opened his mouth. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Well, for us specifically, and I, I want to move on to the other topic because we're already right. more than a half hour in and I've got a lot, half of, a, page a lot of, notes. of notes to go this here. This is on a legal pad too, everybody. So yeah. it's, anyway. it's intimidating. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, there's, it's just whatever. Anyway, um, for us specifically, th- the kind of internet censorship crackdown and the idea of um, opposing... Um, information, even true information, if it comes from the wrong side and like these kinds of ideas. Did you see how they were describing Teixeira? No. (laughs) Okay. So, um, the Washington post quoted one of his, uh, gamer buddies, I guess, saying that he was a quote, devout Catholic and libertarian with an interest in guns. Oh man. And then, um, somebody like, I think another person from this discord server, um, was not quoted exactly, but uh, described his that he'd set up this private discord to espouse libertarian political views and share his interest in guns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a gun-loving libertarian was this guy, and that's why he's so terrible. And that's why, yeah, exactly. Like, we're the bad guy. Um, like, that he was disillusioned with government, and he kept saying that he, you know, wanted well, better for the government and, in the and future. Even and before was unhappy this, with it, you know. So. Even before this incident. This is what our whole podcast is about. <laughs> well, the the... The push in the mainstream media, even before this, has been against basically us. Like uh, they don't use the word generally libertarian, but they always use anti-government. Okay. Um, 
right here is a good place to insert John Brennan. Okay. <laughs> so here goes a clip. All right, let's hear it looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of a country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious, ex religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. Yeah, heaven I mean, forbid you stand up against government. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. That's enough of that because we're running out of time and I'd I mean, I don't want to, I don't want this to be an hour and a half podcast. We got a lot <laughs> of information enough. to get through here. All right, let's do it. All right. So <laughs> I, you know, I hate to play clips this close together, but, um, I feel like it's warranted this, here. Yeah. This clip is a kind lead of the in intro to, the next, to yeah. why I was doing this. Okay. <laughs> so, let's see. um, let's play. Uh, so let me set it up a little bit. All right. Uh, Bill Maher has a, well, I think it's YouTube only, but I don't know. Um, he has a, a show on YouTube that's uh, that's I guess recorded after he does his real show, his TV show. Looked like they were sitting around smoking cigars. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like they take over some bar and it's just he and one of his guests, and they just like sit and have a conversation. Yeah, um, that's cool. And and that's it. It's like it's not even an interview. It's just just a talk. It's just like two guys sitting having a conversation. Yeah. Um. So uh, he did this with Russell Brand. Uh, a while back, and they got to talking about the Ukraine war, and then this happened. All right, let's hear it. The, uh, ever since the fall, there's been encroachment on former Soviet territory, that there was a NATO-inspired coup in 2014, and that there are significant profits being made. It's the same, in a sense, look, I would offer this. I'd feel a lot more comfortable Wait, about... coup in 2014? The, the 2014 coup in Ukraine that was Crimea. backed by U.S. interests. Why would we back a coup that gave Crimea to Putin? They the, lost Crimea in 2014, Ukraine. The ongoing, I think, right. Bill, to to say that this is that this is a humanitarian war that has, as an inadvertent side effect, created all this opportunity for profit in, for the military-industrial complex is as naive as suggesting that the pharmaceutical industry would keep good on their pledge to not profit from the pandemic. I wish you could see it actually, <laughs> because the visual. It, it, go pull it up. It's like. 44, 45 minutes in yeah. that this happens. Um, and just watch Russell Brand <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when, uh, when Bill Maher exposes his complete ignorance of the fact that there was even a coup yeah. in Ukraine in 2014. <laughs> yeah, he really doesn't know how to react. And, and you're right, you really do just kind of got to see it because it's just kind of like a... Like he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Now he handles it way better than I would. Because yeah. if if I had been in his shoes, this would have been a moment where I would have been like, All right, Bill Maher, you're <laughs> ignorant of this and I don't know how, but let me learn you. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and and Russell Brand has enough sense to just like, okay, I'm not gonna even try to explain all this to him. Let yeah. me just pull back and change into another approach of how I can yeah. maybe sway him on this. Yeah. Which is way smarter than what I would do. <laughs> right. Um, but so then I thought, like, I, I think of Bill Maher as being generally engaged in what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, and keeping up with news, even news that's counter to the narrative, the, to the mainstream narrative. I mean, one well, of he, the things he that works, I like about Bill, yeah. Yeah, he works out. I mean, he, he follows the mainstream narrative plenty, but mm -hmm. he also kind of makes a career out of skidding off of it. Yeah. And so you have to be pretty aware to make those skids. Yeah. I mean, he upsets his own audience with some frequency. Yeah, yeah. and I think Not that's, a lot of frequency, I guess, but with some frequency. Yeah, and, and I think that's intentional on his part, but you would think that somebody that does that type of thing would know a little more. Yeah, I, I was just surprised. Like I, I think I had the same expression as Russell Brand when I was listening to it. Yeah. Like I was, I was at work when I was listening to it, and I was doing some something work related while I was listening, and it happened. And I, I remember stopping <laughs> what I was doing and like looking over at the screen with this very confused expression on my face, yeah. um, just being blown away that that Bill Maher was completely ignorant of the Maidan street putsch in 2014. Yeah. So then I thought, well, are there a lot more people that are just unaware? I think that there are.
because it's, because it's not it's not while it when it happened at the time, mm-hmm. the mainstream media just just pushed this through as well. The Russians just took Crimea, like that's all yeah, you got, yeah. that's all you got here. Like so, like people like that are following the stuff like me mm-hmm. and you. Yeah, like we know that there's a lot more to it than that. But your average American, like that's the story. Yeah, I guess that's true. And so. This is what I was going to do while you were out of town is just to do a, a deep dive history of the the Maidan coup. Okay. Um like essentially from uh the lead up to it through the Crimean uh plebiscite. Yeah. Um so I'm not going to do all of that here cuz man there's so much detail and yeah. uh and if you're interested please let me know because I I we can do this lot, again. Yeah, I have lots of notes, and I, I could even do it by myself sometime. Yeah. You know, between podcasts, and put it up as a bonus episode, just like yeah, you know, like a deeper dive into the Maidan coup situation. But there are things that I definitely w- want to make sure that people know. Certainly, our listeners yeah. should know. Hit the and, high points, and our listeners are going to know a lot of this anyway because we've done a like we did a we talked like about a it. really good episode on our the U.S. history in the Ukraine. Yeah. Um. But here we go. So the the Maidan street push, the overthrow of Viktor Yanukovych, who had been democratically elected um, in 2010 right. um, and was due for re-election in 2015, yeah. uh, happened on February 20th, 2014. Yeah. That's when they, they absolutely pushed him out. The protests that led up to this began in November of 2013. Um, they were uh, a reaction to more or less a reaction to uh, Viktor Yanukovych um, leaving a deal with the EU that he hadn't actually made. He, you know, they went and had a meeting about it. And as I understand it, um, it was essentially a, uh, a bait and switch. Like they had drawn him up to have this meeting saying that this was going to be the rule set. And then when he got there, they said, now this is the rule set sign here. And he said, no, thanks. (laughs) I'm oh. altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it further. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, it was there were a bunch of things related to trade deals with the EU and um, some economic reforms that they uh, that were required by the International Monetary Fund. Now, what's funny here is that people like Bill Maher are probably generally against economic requirements placed on a country by the International Monetary Fund, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, so he said like, this isn't worth it to my country. Like this is more costly to my country than the other deal that I have been offered by Russia. Yeah. Um, so he was, he was going back toward, to the Russia deal. Yeah. And then these protests started. Yeah. Um, because we can't have that. Yeah. And they were urged online by a guy named um, Mustafa Naim. I'm, I'm not entirely sure on the pronunciations of these names, I will say okay. right from the beginning. Like <laughs> some right. of these names are impossible. Yeah. But um, anyway, he was a uh, online reporter. He had formerly, or uh, he may have still been connected to them, but he had formerly been part of uh, uh, reporting for Ukrainska Pravda, which at the time was an opposition newspaper. Now it is the newspaper of Ukraine. Yeah. Um, but, uh, just as a side note, the U- Ukrainska Pravda at that time was funded by the National Endowment for Democracy and USAID. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and then it was televised uh, on a, um, a new digital news station right from the very beginning. Um, the news station is like Hromadska or something. I, I don't know how to say that one either. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole lot of, of consonants together on that one. And it, uh, who knows? <laughs> Doesn't work. Um, and, uh, and this was now I'm kind of confused in my notes here, um, about whether this was reported by, uh, Sergei, uh, Leshenko, Um, and it was Mustafa Naim that was putting the, the, uh, images up. Um, yeah. or if it was Sergei Lushenko who was putting the images up, um, but they had both been at Ukrainska Pravda, actually. Yeah. And um, the uh, the new TV outlet, like it wasn't even a sanctioned TV outlet at the time. I mean, I say TV, it's it's online, yeah. you know, digital media. But um, it wasn't even, they hadn't even started when, officially, when the protests began. And they were immediately put, like from the very beginning, they were putting out images of the protests. This was like largely responsible for making this, 
um, an international issue. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, now that particular um, news outlet was funded by, as a side note again, yeah. USAID. Okay. <laughs> and and the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine. Nice. Um, and a Soros organization uh, called uh, International Renaissance Foundation. Okay. Now, I, I hesitate to even mention the Soros thing because I think we have probably more right-wing people listening to the podcast than left-wing people. No. And I know that the, the mentioning the name Soros like creates this. So don't lose focus. Don't lose focus by, <laughs> by saying, oh, Soros again. Yeah. Like the real problem here is the U.S. government. Come back yeah. to the U.S. government. This is yeah. funded I mean, primarily Soros by U.S. Soros isn't a good government. guy in this story either. Oh, no, no. Of so, course I not. Mean. <laughs> but I, I don't want you to lose track of the fact that the that the main funders were U.S. government organizations, not Soros. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you have that. Like this this is a big part of, of making this an international issue um, of uh, actually – um, getting people out in the streets in the first place. And yeah. these guys were connected to the U S government. Yeah. Um, and in fact, both of the, like Lashenko and Nayim were both brought over to the U S um, to do some kind of training, yeah. some kind of media training or whatever. I mean, anyway, there was some prep work. Exactly. Um, in December of 2013, uh, John McCain gave an address to the Maidan protesters. And yeah. while he was giving this address to the Maidan protesters, our friend Victoria Newland was also there. At the time, she was the um, assistant, no, wait, undersecretary of state for European and Eurasian affairs or something like that. I mean, God, these titles yeah. get ridiculous. But um, anyway, uh, she, she was working for Hillary Clinton at the time. Yeah. And, um, she uh, was giving out cookies to the Maidan protesters while John McCain, a sitting senator in the U.S., was giving a speech to the Maidan protesters. Yeah. Um, at the end of January 2014 is the famous F the EU call. Yeah. Um, it, it actually happened at the end of January. Uh, this is where uh, Victoria Newland and Jeffrey, Jeffrey Piott um, discussed. And Jeffrey Piott was the M U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Yeah. Of course, this is the same organization that was funding this opposition media, whatever. Yeah, um, they're very involved. Yeah, right. That's that's what your ambassador to a country should be doing is funding yeah. um, <laughs> a, an opposition media outlet. Yeah, exactly. But uh, anyway, they discussed the composition of the new government yeah. that would be taking over in a few weeks after the coup. Yeah. Uh, coincidentally, of course. Yeah. And this is all... Because they were wanting to move back towards Russia and away from the U.S. Away from the West, yeah. West, okay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. 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 Uh, they had rejected the EU deal, and they were um, contemplating the other deal with Russia. Yeah. Their neighbor. Their neighbor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, that phone call was leaked uh, February 4th. I, yeah. I have the full conversation. I didn't pull any clips from it because there's just so much going on in it. And part of it, like, it's not all explicit. Yeah. Um, so, if if people want a deeper dive into this Maidan coup history, then I will definitely include a bunch of clips from that phone call because it's important. She's yeah. essentially she's naming I mean, they're the next lay, they're laying, president. Yeah, they're laying out what the new government's going to look like. Yeah. The new, they've brought down the current government and they're basically discussing how they're going to lay the new government out. Right. And then two weeks later, the coup happens. And of course, the guy who they named to be the next president became the next president. Yeah. So it's not like they, this call was for nothing. <laughs> Yats is the guy. Arseny Yatsenyuk is who they're talking about. Yeah. Um, so now to back up a little bit before, I mean, that's that's like the highlights of the actual like protest the leading revolution. to the coup. Yeah. 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 Um, before that, in September 2013, uh, Carl Gershman, who is the president of the National Endowment for Democracy, which we have talked about multiple times as being just really a front for the CIA. Yeah. It, it is the public-facing part of the regime change arm of the CIA. Yeah. Um, it is completely U.S. government funded. Well, not completely, but almost completely U.S. government funded. Um, and its purpose is to sow discord in uh, rival nations. They go and they spend a bunch of money in these countries setting up NGOs, supporting opposition groups, 
uh, to create problems for the existing governments. I was going to say kind of like PBS, but maybe they're <laughs> a little, <laughs> I mean, almost completely government funded. So in discourse against the American people, I think there's some parallels. Yeah, may, yeah I guess so. I don't watch PBS anymore. So I, I watch have, a good bit I don't of PBS. Have TV anymore, <laughs> so, so. Anyway. Um, but uh, anyway, he, yeah, uh, this guy, Carl Gershman, he wrote an editorial in the Washington post um, and he's, writing about a new Cold War. Now, remember, this is about six months before the, uh, less than, actually, six months before the Ukraine coup. Yeah. Um, he uh, He's talking about a new Cold War with Russia and how Ukraine is the biggest prize. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and he's urging more involvement in the former Russian republics, um, with Ukraine being the most important one. And he's talking about how... Um, getting Ukraine to realign with the West instead of with Russia would be a, a, a big blow to Putin's power. Yeah. Um, that it would weaken Putin, which seems to be the, the reoccurring theme what, here. Yeah. What we're still operating under this idea. Yeah. Um, now it's important that this is the president of the national endowment for democracy, because I would also like to point out here that the national endowment for democracy invested over $20 million in more than 60 different projects in Ukraine in the year prior to the, the coup. Yeah. All right. So, um, and, uh, so, uh, is it Robert Perry? I want to say it's Robert Perry. It's a shame. I can't remember his name. His his, guy was a great, uh, um, journalist. He died like maybe two years ago or something like that. Um, but he was talking about this and saying that the, the NED, um, goes over and they, they create alignments that they can use to, to create civil unrest whenever a government doesn't do what we want them to do. Yeah. Right. Like they, they can just gives they us, can motivate these people to get out in the street and start yeah, protesting. Gives us some teeth when we make threats to these leaders. Yeah. You know. Um, and NED is technically a non-governmental organization, so... Yeah, so there's plenty of separation there. Right. right. <laughs> Plausible deniability. Of <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah. So uh, the Svo- Svo- Svoboda, yeah. the Svoboda party leader, um, Ole Tjanibak. Okay. Tjanibak. We're going to say. I don't know. <laughs> Again. Long as Man. I'll have a test on this later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ole Tjanibak, um, he alleged that in at the end of the coup, the la- the when the massacre in Maidan occurred. Yeah. Um, so there's the sniper massacre of both anti-government protesters or activists or whatever you want to call them, and uh, the police. Yeah. So both sides were getting shot by snipers. Yeah. Now the. Um, the story over here is that it was the the government forces that were killing anti-government protesters and maybe they hit some police by accident or whatever. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be the case. And in fact, this guy, Chanabak, who's been uh, the leaders of the far right, yeah. read neo-Nazi um, Svoboda Party, uh, he alleged that, the, that these massacres... <coughs> excuse me, um, were closely co- coordinated with the U.S. Yeah. With U.S. officials. And um, with the idea that if you if you have enough murders, then it's the government's fault. Yeah. And in a mass murder situation where the government's to blame, well, they have to be replaced. Yeah. And that there was even talk. I, I, so now I'm getting into the weeds, like way off my notes here. Sorry. All right. Um, there was even talk about like how many people do we have to kill before the U.S. government and and their international allies will get involved. Can step in, yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, well, is five enough? Is twenty enough? Is hundred enough? And they'd settled on a hundred. Yeah. Um, I don't think they had actually that many kills, but anyway. Um. So then there's there's this studious and well supported peer reviewed paper. Concluding that the snipe, I'm back on my notes now. Um, Concluding that the snipers were uh, pro coup. Um, It was initially approved and then pulled uh, by a prominent journal, according to the author. The author is uh, 
Ivan Kachanovsky. He's a Ukrainian-Canadian political scientist. He's at the University of Ottawa. Yeah. Um, he's got good credentials. He's Ukrainian yeah. and Canadian now. Yeah. Um, but he's Ukrainian, and he's saying, hey, this overthrow in Ukraine, like all these all these people were killed by nationalist Ukrainians. Yeah. Right? Like, so... And there's a whole bunch of... He, it's It's really well documented. Like... He's got a bunch of eyewitness reports, um, uh, feeds from video in uh, in the city, all kinds of stuff. It's yeah, like fairly conclusive. It checks out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but it, it was pulled, and so he had this quote, and I I like this one, so I wrote it down. So I'm going to read you this quote from him. All right. Um, he says, uh, many scholars are afraid to conduct evidence-based research that runs contrary to established Western narratives on Maidan, the Russia-Ukraine war, and other issues related to the conflicts in Ukraine. Yeah. So, there you go. Um, and then, of course, like, the, the actual Crimea stuff happened soon afterwards. Like, the, the Crimea almost immediately rejected the, the new government. And yeah. it, I think it's probably important to point out. <laughs> see, I'm going. I can't help, no, but add additional information as I go along. Yeah. Um, but I swear, there's so much more. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the um, the person. All right. So the pro-Russian regime in Ukraine. This happened in in February 2014. There were elections scheduled for 2015. He had already agreed. Uh, Yanukovych had already agreed to hold elections earlier. Yeah. If people were upset. So they could have voted him out in a few months. And instead they had this violent street push to throw him out of office. Yeah. Um, and, and take over. Brought and on by the U.S. It seems More or less. certainly encouraged. Yeah. Um, and with some at least moral support and obviously some monetary support as well through the NED and USAID. Um, so anyway, uh, Crimea almost immediately rejected the new government. Yeah. Um, and that's not even to mention that like in May there's the, uh, Odessa massacre where, um, they trapped a bunch of pro Russians in the trade building and set it on fire. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, women and children and yeah. 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 Um, and there's no doubt, no doubt that it was nationalist Ukrainian pro new government, pro coup nationalist Ukrainians that did this. But anyway, in, uh, in Crimea, which is ethnic Russian and has actually been Russian longer than the United States has been separated from the United Kingdom just to, or Great Britain at the time, just to give you kind of a relevant, um, a relation, a relation. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, so they, they almost immediately rejected the government. Uh, the Russians were like, yeah, we're not giving this up. Yeah. Um, and they had a military yeah, base. Because the, and the, I'm, I'm assuming that the new government in Ukraine tried to overplay their hand by, Taking, oh yeah, yeah. They they yeah. immediately started doing things like the outlawing Russian as a language, like you could no longer speak Russian in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and uh, they um, overturned the lease that the so the Russians had been paying the Ukrainian government. Yeah. To use Crimea. Yeah. Um, to use their military base in Crimea because it's their Black Sea port. Yeah. Um, so it, when the new government took over, they uh, they rejected that lease. And said, yeah, you can't, you got to get out. This is ours now. Yeah. And the Russians said, uh, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll be having that. <laughs> yeah. We, we had an agreement. We're sticking to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and so they essentially, their military personnel just went and stood on the cre- street corners and said, this is ours now. Yeah. Um, and the people were like, okay. Yeah. Because, cool they, because they were okay with it anyway. Yeah. Um, so later they had a plebiscite, uh, a vote. Yeah. Um, uh, in Crimea about whether they wanted to join Russia officially or not. And the vote was something like 97% to join Russia. And it had like a 94% turnout or something like that. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it was I, as I overwhelming the, as you can ask for. Yeah. And I don't remember the numbers exactly, but it, yeah, it was a completely overwhelming vote to join Russia. Yeah. Um, and that, that vote 
even though the U.S. now says, well, that is a, you know, a, a bullcrap vote. It's, you know, it was under duress or whatever. Yeah. Um, independent international polling afterwards confirmed the results. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these people were already ethnic Russian anyway. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't be they surprised. They had always considered themselves Russian. They spoke Russian. They, yeah. they were Russian. Yeah. I no, mean, it, there, there's a Russian base right there. Yeah. Like, Crimea that tells had, you enough. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Crimea had been Russian since Catherine the Great. Yeah. like since the 18th century this has been russian yeah so um anyway so that's what actually happened yeah and like i said there's a lot more detail i could provide a whole lot more uh reference and quotes and and you know lots of additional like deeper information so if you guys want it let me know and i'll i'll put together a podcast um going into this with uh, with greater depth but the the moral of the story is that the the U.S. certainly seems to have supported the overthrow of a um, of a government that was trying to play both sides in Ukraine, but then got um, got shafted by the EU and picked the other side. Yeah, <coughs> and then was overthrown, even though they could have been voted out in just a few months. Yeah, but they wouldn't have been. That's yeah. that's, that's probably that's, the issue. Yeah, or it would have been close enough that they that. Mm. Our elite wasn't going to take the chance. Yeah, and the story now is that the, the the Maidan coup was a popular revolt, but it wasn't. There was it. It wasn't even close to a half the country that wanted to overthrow Yanukovych and and bring in this new government. Yeah. And and I would say that there's um, good evidence of that just because uh, Zelensky got voted in with on the platform of settling disputes with Russia. And honoring the Minsk agreements with relation to the the um, oblasts, yeah, um, the Donbass oblasts, and uh, he didn't do it because nobody will protect him from the ultra nationalist wing that has um, more influence than they have people in that country. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and so, uh, so here we are now. Yeah. Uh, we, we have in many ways created this problem. Yeah. And I think Russell Brand's point through most of it was like to talk about that. Like you can, you can say that, um, that Putin's a monster and that this was illegal and that he shouldn't be taking, uh, shouldn't be, um, invading, Ukraine. And I would agree with all of that, except for the monster thing. I don't know. I don't think he's that much worse than any other policy. I I mean, in the sense that they're all kind of monsters. Yeah, exactly. Um, But to talk about it and omit the context of the U.S. interference in that country over all of this time and and actually sowing discord and creating a situation um, where there's real antagonism and opposition between um, the ethnically Russian and the Ukrainian nationalists in that country. You know, this divide and conquer strategy that we employ everywhere, including here. Yes. Um, is, uh, is being naive. Yeah. It just upsets me that, you know, the, the Ukraines can get into, in the streets over stuff their government's doing, (laughs) but like there's there's no appetite for that in this country. Like I mean, stuff comes out about the government lying, and it's just like, eh, you know, yeah. what do you expect? You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, we should be in the streets about the government lying to us over and over again. That's been exposed in these leaks. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, and and I mean, all you get is the is I mean, people like people like us will be upset about it, but nothing ever really happens. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's hard to organize, and there's a fear. Well, yeah, well, and there's rightfully so a fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it's not unjustified. Yeah, what does that say? That people were um, were not too afraid to get out in the streets in Ukraine. Yeah, but they're afraid to get out in the streets in the United States. Yeah, well, it, a mm. lot of it has to do with our mainstream media. Yeah, like I, I still, I still push it back to that that enough people will just fall in line with whatever the mainstream media tells them. There's truth in that, but I think the other part of it is that even though we, you know, we hang on tightly to this idea that we're a liberal democracy, people yeah. live here know 
that the government is actually incredibly authoritarian. Yeah. Oh yeah. And dangerous. Yeah. Especially when you're prepared to speak out against it. Mm-hmm. So. We got a quarter of the world's prison population here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we sponsor black sites all over the world. Yeah. We, we can't close down Guantanamo. Yeah. There's people that have been there for decades now with no charges. Yeah. And Just, Obama said that we could put Americans there too. <laughs> yeah. So. And that's been reapproved ever since. Over and over again. So. Yeah. It's a wonderful place we live. Now, I'm not worried. I mean, you know, the funny thing is that I'm not worried about them banging down the door here too much because we don't have a big enough circulation to matter. <laughs> yeah, but it just makes you think if we ever did. Yeah. You know, like would. Truth is that we're probably more in danger now than we would be if we had a big enough circulation. Yeah. Because yeah. right now we could be disappeared without anybody really noticing, without any real outcry. Yeah. Um, if we had, you know... 10 million listeners or something like that. Yeah. Then people would notice. Exactly. Yeah. If Joe, Ro- if, stand if, up for if, us. if Joe Rogan just disappeared yeah. tomorrow, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still don't think people be in the streets. Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Like, I hope I'm wrong about that actually, but yeah. you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not convinced. Yeah. So. All right. Well, on that happy note. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> God, we got we have got to figure out how to end on a high note. Yeah. So from from now on, we we need to have our high note prepared at the beginning. Yeah. When we're talking about what we're going to talk about on the podcast, we need to have that prepared. Well, the important part is all of you are out there listening. Yep. And so the government has your number now too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they can come get y'all too. <laughs> Mm. All right. Well, uh, we, let's see. I'm trying to think. I want to say that I have something next week, but I don't think that it'll interfere with the podcast. So um, we should be here next week. I plan to be. Yeah. And if not, you know, if you guys say, hey, Michael at the Liberty uh, I would really like to hear that in depth bit about my Don. Um, then, you know, maybe I'll put something together over okay. the weekend and have something in case I'm. Hey, Something goes wrong. There you go. Yeah, in case, in case we're disappeared. Although I was planning to put it out as a bonus episode, yeah. not even numbered. Not even numbered. just just a bonus. <laughs> just there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just something you need to click um, on. So yeah, we plan to be back here next week. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, subscribe on iTunes, uh, YouTube, Podbean, um, like and share, tell your friends if you dare, and. Uh, We'll be back next week when we finally get this right. In the meantime, try to stay free. Life short, live free. Ciao. Later.